It's Tuesday, February 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hell. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Chief Investment Officer at the Motley Fool, Andy Cross. Good to see you guys. Hey, hey. Hey, Chris. We got a lot going on. We've got some big drama in the retail space. We've got a big change at Yahoo, but we are going to start today with housing. U.S. home prices uh, were up nearly 1% in December, making 2012 the best yearly gain for housing prices since 2006. Uh, This is all according to the Price-Shiller Index. Uh, And Jason, Home Depot's fourth quarter profits came in better than expected. They raised their dividend 35% and announced they're buying back as much as $17 billion worth of shares. really seems like Home Depot is just crushing it. It does, and it's a little bit of a uh, an other side of the coin from what we were talking about yesterday with Lowe's. Lowe's seem to be sort of, eh, you know, some good, some bad, and nothing really too terribly seller out there. Home Depot, on the other hand, really knocked it out of the park. I think comp sales at, at around 7%, which is I mean, pretty phenomenal if you think about it. Uh, a lot of economic uncertainty out there, but apparently people are, are still getting out there and doing some home, uh, home improvements. The one thing I was concerned with, though, this – I love the fact they upped the dividend by, what, 35% or so? 35%. Uh, but the $17 billion share buyback, to me, that just is I, – I hope they don't really just execute this uh, to, to, its, to its full capacity because, I mean, this stock is not cheap uh, today. I mean, it's, it's probably 24, 25 times earnings with, with uh, the action today. And, you know, to me, I mean, buybacks are great when the stock is really cheap. We've still got a relatively uncertain economy out there, so uh, that's the one thing I took away from uh, from the report that I'd be a little bit wary of. Well, two things here is that the housing is so important to the U.S. economy and to the American consumer, and when our housing prices go up, we saw the Case-Shiller numbers look really attractive today. Yep. The home building, the new home numbers, really good. Home Depot earnings. So all this is a lot of momentum going into 2013. The housing market, both on the single-family home and also – uh, with uh, apartment buildings and construction and renovating your your house, and this all bodes well for Home Depot. So while, and I'm a Home Depot shareholder, and I've been very pleased over the past couple of years after years of stagnation with Barb Nardelli from the early 2000s. You know, so we've seen this resurgence on Home Depot. All very good news. So while the stock may not be screamingly cheap. I do think it's reasonably priced here, and I think the expectations now, because they lowered guidance a little bit, I think the expectations are set in such a way that they can actually outperform the expectations of the investors, and the stock can continue to go higher. Uh, Let me just play devil's advocate on the share buyback thing for a second, um, because, and I'm not a Home Depot shareholder, but when we talk about ways that companies can allocate cash, uh, upping their dividend, I I think the average investor is, you know, Nobody's bummed out to hear that the dividend has been increased. Yeah. So, I mean, that, you know, that's a great thing. But why not take you know, that amount of cash and reinvest it in the company, possibly expand their footprint? I say this, of course, not actually knowing what their footprint is like in the United States, but my assumption is that there's room to grow. So why not take some of that cash and look to expand a little bit? Well, I think there potentially could be some room to grow in the United States, but I don't think a whole heck of a lot. Uh, I mean, Home Depot is bigger than Lowe's. So when we were comparing the two yesterday, and, and Home Depot is really good about using scale to their advantage. They're able to maintain relatively similar gross margin lines to Lowe's, but in, in their scale, they're able to really bring that down to the bottom line and better operating and net margins. And so for me, with share buybacks, I think it's, it's you look at for, for really opportunistic times, like when Coach, for example, announced some buybacks and the shares have been getting killed lately, and I, I felt like maybe that was a bit more opportunistic. And, and, and to be fair, I mean, Ho- Home Depot announced the authorization. They haven't bought Back any shares yet, right? So, and it's as much as seventeen billion. Correct. It's not, yeah, and I think this coming year they talked about possibly five billion of that of that actual um, plan. But I think investors 
for the most part, with a, with a company like this, with Home Depot, it's a relatively sort of blue chipish, staid company. Dividends are cash in your pocket. I think that's definitely more tangible. Uh, they've done a good job of bringing the share count down over time. They certainly aren't ballooning that share count up. But you know, I mean, Home Depot. I think they tried to get some uh, market share, even internationally speaking, into China. That didn't work out so well. So uh, it's sort of a fight between Lowe's and Home Depot at this point. I don't see any reason why I, I would not recommend Lowe's over Home Depot. I think of the two, Home, uh, Home Depot is the stock I prefer. The one to keep in to keep in mind here really is Amazon Supply because as new as that business is, well, we know Amazon. Jeff Bezos are always going to compete on price, and they'll sacrifice those short-term profits for long-term share. And so, you know, Home Depot's probably got that in their rearview mirror too. I think Home Depot, they've said they want to get the payout ratio, which is a percentage of earnings paid out in dividends up to 50%. So as their earnings grow, they're going to pay their dividends out in a, in a way that's um, that matches that. Um, they will open up stores. I think they'll open up as many as nine stores this year. So they are at, they are investing back into the business. The one thing that that Frank Blake has done so well at since coming on as the CEO at Home Depot in 2007 is he has um, brought back customer service to Home Depot in a way that desperately needed it. You go into Home Depot, and I've been there twice in the past month, which I hadn't been to Home Depot in probably a year and a half. So you go back in there, and you get the feel. When you go into these stores, I get the feel of going into a smaller footprint in a very large uh, retail space. So I get the sense that customer service, I'm never, I'm always asked what I'm, how can I how can they be of service to me? What am I looking for? How can they help? And I think with something like Amazon Supply, you don't necessarily get something like that. I agree with that. And we, we talked on the Motley Fool Money radio show uh, this past weekend. Uh, Home Depot came up. It was it was someone's uh, radar stock. And uh, Steve Broido uh, basically is at the other end of the spectrum from you because he was asking about the customer service because I guess he's had bad – and I, I just sort of looked at him like, what are you talking about? Like what Home Depot are you going into? Because yeah. I've had the same experience because I'm – I'm moderately handy around the house, but there's plenty I don't know how to do. We talked yesterday. I think, I think uh, all three of us, uh, Jason, Tim, and myself, could, you know, bone up our skills when it comes to dealing with electricity and electrical work <laughs> and that kind of thing. But anytime I go into Home Depot and I'm like, "Hey, look, I need help doing X," uh, I feel like they're right on top. Yeah, of I mean, it. I have I have like ten thumbs. You know, I am <laughs> I'm so like uh, an idiot when it comes to house repair. So any help I can get from Home Depot, I think is great. And I go in there and they want to help you now, which I think five years ago, that was not the case. You go into Home Depot and you were lost. Yeah, I'll echo that sentiment too. I mean, I go into Home Depot a relatively decent amount and it's a huge store. It's it's kind of frustrating if you don't quite know what you're looking for to sit there and walk around for 30, 45 minutes to try to find it. And they are, they have really stepped up their game in in the service industry. I think that Amazon Supply admittedly is not looking for that type of experience. I think they're focused more on these sort of professional commercial sort of – Look, I mean, yeah, exactly. The numbers for Home Depot, sales up 14 percent, comps up 7 percent, average ticket order price up 6 percent. Like these are good numbers that go into fiscal year for the next fiscal year for them and I think it bodes well for the stock. Uh, There's a whole lot going on in the world of retail and by a whole lot, I mean a whole lot of drama. Let's start with the tangible numbers first, though. Macy's fourth quarter profits came in better than expected. Uh, The company also said they expect 2013 to be another year of strong sales. Uh, JCPenney reports on Wednesday, and what where the drama comes in is that Macy's and JCPenney are engaged in a lawsuit at the moment, um, where Macy's alleged that JCPenney violated violated Macy's exclusive deal with Martha Stewart. Uh, and just to add even more to this whole thing, 
Martha Stewart's company, uh, what is it, Omnivision Living? Um, Omnimedia Living? Yeah, Omnimedia. Uh, they reported fourth quarter profits down 74% today. So there's just <laughs> there's this whole morass going on. Let's, let's try and cut through it uh, a little bit. Uh, but, uh, Andy, in terms of just sort of the basic numbers, it really seems like Macy's is doing yep. pretty well in what is certainly in the recent past, Ben, kind of a tough operating environment. What's so interesting is I mentioned Frank Blake for Home Depot. Terry Lundgren over at Macy's has done a really stellar job over the last five years on getting Macy's merchandising strategy together. And I read in the release two key words that I thought were phrases that I thought were so interesting. Customers, customers want fresh and exclusive fashion merchandise at, at, at outstanding value. And Jason, we've talked about this, about, about retail establishments Offering things that you can only get there mm-hmm. and you can't get elsewhere. William Sonoma is doing this, doing this, uh, spending more and more resources on this. And I think you don't, you get that sense in Macy's where before you didn't have it. Terry Lundgren has really since 2009 when they kind of revamped their merchandising strategy and their operations has really has, has Macy's now firing in all cylinders. And the stock, you know, went from 45 down to 10. It's rebounded all the way back now to the 40s. So really things going very well at Macy's and not so much for Martha Stewart or uh, J.C. Penney, really. I also feel like this is yet another environment where customer service makes a huge difference. Definitely does. Where if you know if you're going into what is sort of the traditional department store model, which Macy's basically is, or for that matter, J.C. Penney as well, that that's going to make a huge difference, I think, for people. It will, and it does. And I think you can see that Macy's three prong strategy here of working on uh, catering stores to local tastes. Uh, focusing on internet selling and and also training staff in a big a bigger focus on customer service kind of kind of like what Home Depot's worked on yep. and it's paying off. I mean, uh, you, you look at sort of a J.C. Penney versus a Macy's, and I think those are two very different worlds. But one thing that's very encouraging with Macy's, if you look over the past five years, the store count's relatively flat, mm-hmm. so they're not opening up new stores really, but they are selling a lot more online. They're focusing on that trend. We know that for for as much room as there is to run with online retail. Uh, you know, Macy's is starting to get their head in that, starting to sort of get their head in that game. And so uh, same-store sales this quarter was, was, most, was most boosted by their Internet presence. And I think that's really encouraging. How does uh, – this is a technical question, but how does uh, – how do Internet sales factor into comps? And maybe they're just a completely separate thing, but Andy, you talked about uh, the average ticket order for Home Depot going up 6%. Do online sales get factored into that and sort of divided by the number of store counts, or, or is that just a whole separate category? Yeah, not in comps they don't. Like in comps it's okay. all like, you know, separate. But to, you know, to, to Jason's point, I think what Macy's has done well, and it's just so fascinating. The retail market now is so fragmented because in some areas, low-end areas, some stocks are doing well, some companies are doing well. On the high-end area, some companies are doing very well, like Michael Kors and Coach is struggling right now a little bit. Yep. And in, the, in, the, in between, you have some companies doing well and not. Macy's has been doing well for a long time. I mean, their comp sales are up almost 4%. They were up 5% last year and 4% the year before that. So really, you know, Terry Lundgren has this machine working the way he wants to, and their merchandising strategy, most importantly, is getting it done, and that's reflected well in the stock the price. Big anchors – too. I mean, they're they're big they're big anchors at shopping centers. So, I mean, that's kind of like one entrance point when you go to a mall. You're typically 
probably going through a Macy's at some point. Yeah, and in 2008, Macy's had $9 billion worth of debt. Today, they have $6.8 billion, and they had $580 million of cash back then, and now they have almost $2 billion. So, and, and they generate plenty of operating cash to be able to use in a variety of ways, like reinvest back in the stores. So things have really worked out nicely for Macy's. Late on Friday, a confidential memo to Yahoo employees was leaked Um, And the memo outlined a new rule from CEO Marissa Mayer requiring employees who work remotely to work at company offices. This begins in June. There are no exceptions, uh, according to the memo. Um, And, uh, you know, this is just sort of seeing the light of day. Uh, Obviously, this happened late on Friday, but it's it's now starting to get uh, a decent amount of coverage in the media. Um, And I'm just curious what you guys think of this because on the one hand, Yahoo's got somewhere in the neighborhood of 11,500 employees, and this is going to affect, by their own words, several hundred. So we're talking maybe 4% of the company is affected by this. So on the one hand, you have people saying, well, this is really not that big a deal. On the, but for the people who are affected by this, and presumably by some of their colleagues, it's seen as sort of this almost heavy-handed move to say, you know, yeah, you absolutely have to be in the office. The rationale behind it um, is around collaboration and just the whole notion that collaboration is really important to our business at Yahoo and you can work in your home but you really can't collaborate with your coworkers. What do you think of this, Jason? This is a hard one. We have to kind of tiptoe around this because we obviously have the same dynamic in our office to a degree. Uh, but with that said, I mean, Marissa Meyer was brought into Yahoo not only to turn the business around, but really part of doing that is to essentially reestablish the culture at that company. And, and culture in tech specifically is really uh, a lot about collaboration. And so I understand where she's coming from. I don't believe she's going to be so hard-nosed to say there are no exceptions. I mean, I, I have to believe there are going to be certain cases where – uh, things need to be worked out. And I, I believe I had seen some reports, you know, lending to that. Um, but I, I do get where she's coming from, and I think that ultimately, when you're put in a situation where you have to turn a company around, like she's been put in, it makes sense. I get what she's saying. I mean, collaboration's a big deal, and having everybody there together is really a part of that. It's not to say that it can't change down the road if things get better. But I think this is one of those things that she sees as, as you know, integral into, into turning things around there. I mean, certainly in our office with the investing group, collaboration is hugely important. And really across our organization, collaboration right. is hugely important. It's one of our core values. So we understand the value of having everyone in the office and having open office space, and that's very valuable. I think a lot of part of um, um, uh, the strategy here is what Jason said is that she's trying to shake things up. And I think it may be a little bit of shock and awe because she can always pull back from this a little bit. Right. Like go out there with a big, bold statement like this. Get everyone thinking about the whole concept of, wow, okay, do, I, do, do we really need to be in the office to be that collaborative? Is collaboration really that critical and that important? If it is, at least it opens up a dialogue and a conversation about that. Um, I don't think she'll be – if she is so hard-nosed to stick to this hard and fast rule, I think that's probably a mistake. Um, my guess is that there will be some more uh, gray areas and flexibility that we haven't seen yet, and I think that's a, ultimately could be a very positive for Yahoo share, for Yahoo shareholders as well as Yahoo employees. Well, yeah, and I was thinking about this in a couple of different ways. One was – and I'm not a Yahoo shareholder. I was at, uh, at one point in time. Um, but I, I would think that if you're a shareholder, you're probably pleased with this news because it is a little bit of a shakeup. And, and who knows? Maybe part of the uh, intention here is to sort of get people's attention and get them thinking like, no, 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 no. Yes, we've, I mean, as we've talked about before, 
she's had a great run so far on the job, but there's more she needs to do, and, and this may be one step in that direction. The other uh, thought I had was um, about Steve Jobs when he was designing, uh, working with designers on the new Pixar building back in the day. And that was one of his big things. Like, look, you can't have, you cannot have moments of serendipity if people are siloed in their offices. And part of the design of the Pixar building was, I believe, one area where there's, despite how many employees they had, there's only one area to eat. Yeah. So if you want to eat something, you want to go to the kitchen or the cafeteria or whatever, there's only one place you can go. And I believe there was also only one central location for bathrooms. It's like, hey, look, I, I don't care how far you have to walk from your office. If you want to go to the bathroom, you know, you're going to have to go to this one central area. And, again, you have those moments of serendipity where, who knows, that's possibly where the next great idea comes I, I from. Think that, I think that more than likely there was a sense of complacency at some point here in the Yahoo work environment. I saw a tweet yesterday from uh, Richard Branson who – he, he, he was befuddled by this. He, he thought that really the best way to get the most out of your employees is to put them in the environment where they want to be and you'll get the best out of them. And that may be true, but I think it's true if things are already going well. Right. If things are bad, if there's a sense of complacency, then you have to really pull that rope in and you have to bring people back into your world and reestablish the rules, uh, so to speak. And so I think that's probably what she's doing. And, and like Andy, I mean, Andy mentioned, I think, very, very good point here is, is she can probably ratchet it back a little bit, but this is a starting point. And and I think that really when you're brought in to change the culture of a company, you have to do things like this. And we have seen this. Tony Shea does the same thing at Zappos in, in Las Vegas with some of his – the big building that they're working on in, in Zappos. There is basically one entrance. So everyone has to go in through yep. this one entrance and there's no multiple entrances. So you're forced – Kind of like you know, forced to at least recognize right. that there are other people in the building, yeah. and then and you know we had here at the Motley Fool, we had um, uh, last year we had a get to know everyone quiz, and you had to know everyone's name and who everyone was, and there's real value in that. So I totally understand what she's trying to do, and I think to me this is a little bit more headlines. And Chris, like you said, it really affects a very small population of Yahoo workers. Andy Cross, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.